we're going to see that the beast of Revelation chapter 13 is the same power as Daniel chapter 7, the little horn power. So now we're going to see some clues and correlations that will show us not only that these two chapters are similar in talking about the same power, but in the process we'll be learning a little bit more of exactly who the Antichrist is. So as we're learning about how that the beast of Revelation 13, which is a political power, I'm sorry, a religious power, trying to really mimic Christ Jesus, mm -hmm. he's the same power as the little horn of Daniel chapter 7. But what is that leading us to? What, do we come, what are we going to do next? Tomorrow night. Tomorrow night we're going to find more clues, which our next presentation tomorrow night will be called More. And then right after More, we will be looking at Revealed, finding out exactly who the Antichrist power is. I've said it, again, I've said it before, but I'll say it again. You are going to tell us who the Antichrist is. We don't necessarily need to tell you. And I believe probably 90 plus percent of the people in this room will be able to tell us exactly who the Antichrist power is. And we've got another video tonight, right? We do. Okay. One thing I wanted to mention is if you're enjoying these meetings, please feel free to bring your friends. We'd like to meet them. We'd like to fill up the pews here so more people can hear the word of the Lord. You know, and if, if you don't have any friends to invite, invite an enemy, okay? Amen. Also, if you do miss them, because I, I know that there was a young man here last night that was really excited about the message, and he, he was going to bring his pastor, he was going to bring his friends, he was going to bring everybody. He couldn't make it tonight. We'd prefer that you come and join us and fellowship with us and we can get to know you. But if you miss it, where's it going to be? Well, it's going to be on ChicagoOutpost.com. And we're also going to be letting you know that we are going to... The videos, maybe you've seen them in the back on the television there. That's uh, sh sharing with you some of the things we've been doing. We've been videotaping this series. And so if you have an interest, you'll have an opportunity to even buy these at a future date. Or if you miss a night, I can, I'm pretty sure in, in time we'll probably be able to... At least you can either get it online. Or if you don't have capabilities to get it online, hopefully we'll be able to get you a CD or a DVD that you can borrow in order to catch up with the meetings. That's right. So... Let's watch this video and then we're going to pray together. All right. Is it important to know who Antichrist is? Um, no, it's important to know who Allah is because if you know who Allah is, you know what I'm saying, you'll know who the Antichrist is, you know? I guess it would be. I, I'm sorry, that's not very definitive, but yeah, I mean, I guess it'd be good to know who it was. Uh -huh. Not unless he's going to uh, come and haunt us. I don't know. My personal belief, as long as you, like I said before, as long as you know what you're doing and doing the right thing, it doesn't matter if you're following someone or not, just follow the right path. Yes. Is it important? Do you think it's important to know who the Antichrist is? Um, not if you live your life through Christ. It shouldn't be a problem, right? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, definitely. It is, it is important to know who it's going to be. But when it's going to happen, we, ne we, we don't know. We don't know. I think so, yeah, because um, obviously he's going to come sometime, so you better be prepared. <laughs> not if you're not Christian. Is it important to know who the Antichrist is? Um, I guess if that's what you're into, then it's important. <laughs> um, if that's your religious views and you feel like you need that to follow your own religion, I guess it is. But for the average everyday person, probably not. Let's pray together, friends. Father in heaven, there's a lot of people that have a lot of ideas, and many of them are just disinterested, many of them are indifferent. Tonight we want to know. We're going to give some clues tonight, Lord, from the Bible, your word, of what you say about the Antichrist and why it's important to us. And Lord, teach us with your spirit. We pray that your angels be here as well to keep us from distraction. Thank you for your angels. 
We give you ourselves in this time in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, you know, there were some people that were just saying, hey, if you're into this thing, it's important to you. Is that true, Chad? No, the reality is this. Remember, we've seen in Revelation chapter 13 that it's not just a select group of people. It's not the, only the Christians that the Antichrist is looking forward to deceiving. He is planning on deceiving all the world and having all the world wonder after him. So no, it's not true. If, if you're a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim, as the man in the beginning was a Muslim, he, you know, he said, well, no, it's not important. You just need to know who Allah is. The reality is, it is important to know the, who the Antichrist is. If it wasn't important, God would not, would not have devoted so many chapters of the scripture, don't you think? Absolutely. The scriptures are, as I mentioned last night, there are many chapters, many portions of the Bible, many stories that give us illustrations or actual points or characteristics of who this Antichrist mm-hmm. is because God thought it was important. Absolutely. Okay, the first thing we're going to look at is behold, in this horn, according to Daniel 7:25, were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. You know, We're going to see that it's similar there to the Beast of Revelation 13, but I want to point something out real quick. It says that it had eyes like the eyes of a man. If you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, it actually says clearly that Paul is pleading with the Ephesians, I want you, that that the eyes of your understanding, to be enlightened. So, biblically, the eyes are the enlightenment of the person, or the church, the company, or the group. Behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man. Does this guy have God's understanding or man's understanding? Man's understanding. So the little, cro- the little horn, the Antichrist, is not understanding the way God understands. Let's continue. In this horn, according to Daniel 7.25, were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Great things. What is that about? Well, you think about this. Now, the Antichrist is going to come boasting. Actually, some, some translations, it might even be the King James that calls it, it's a boastful horn. So this horn will be speaking great things. When you hear this power, it's not going to be as if it's just some goofball who everybody looks at. Look at this goofball. What's he, what's, what, what's he doing? He's going to speak great things. People are going to hear him. They're going to be mesmerized by the words that he speaks. You can imagine his voice will probably be eloquent or his words will be eloquent. And when people hear him, they think they have been in the presence of probably God himself. So Revelation chapter 13 verses 5 and 6, he has a mouth speaking great things. It was given to it, and he spoke blasphemies. Notice, the little horn in Daniel 7 and the beast of Revelation 13 both have a mouth speaking great things, except it's included here in Revelation 13 that he speaks blasphemies. You're going to turn in your Bible with me to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 20. If you find Isaiah or Jeremiah, just keep going a little further. Ezekiel chapter 20, and look at verse 27. The Bible says it clearly. Therefore, son of man, speak unto the house of Israel and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. Notice what it says. Yet in this your fathers have blasphemed me. In that they have committed a trespass against me. What's a trespass? It's a sin. So sinning against God according to this verse, Ephesians chapter, I'm sorry, Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 27, is blaspheming God. Pick uh, pick it up in Mark. Yes, if you have your Bibles, turn with me in the New Testament to the book of Mark. Mark is the second book. It's toward the end of your Bible. Mark chapter 2, we're looking. We're going to get another characteristic of what blasphemy is. In Mark chapter 2, just to give you the quick context, Jesus went into Capernaum, and when he went into Capernaum, he was in a house. 
And while he was there, some people brought their friend with them, and he was paralyzed, and they carried him upon a mat. And as they brought him, they couldn't make it into the house, so they went up on top of the house, and they actually broke open the roof and lowered this man down so that he could be in the presence of Jesus. And notice what happens when this happened. Jesus sees these men. It says in verse 5 of Mark chapter 2, when Jesus saw their faith, as they had lowered this man down, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, or the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven you. But there were certain of the scribes, the religious leaders, sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. They were thinking, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Now, if I were to come before you and say, Come to me and I'll forgive your sins, according to the Bible, I would be speaking what? Blasphemy. So I would never do that. But to claim that you can forgive sins or a human being could forgive sins would be blasphemy. But was Jesus blaspheming by saying that he could forgive sins? Jesus was God. Exactly. And Jesus could forgive sins. So it wasn't blasphemy for him. No. He's forgiven my sins. How about you? Praise the Lord. You know, the Bible says in John chapter 10, if you want to turn there, Jesus was saying, I and the Father are one in verse 30. He basically, listen, if... You can't take anybody out of my father's hand. You can't take any, anybody out of my hand. I and the father are one. And the Jews didn't like that. In fact, it says in verse 31, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him, to kill him. Jesus answered, Hey, many good works have I done and showed you from my father. Which of these works do you stone me for? Verse 33, The Jews answered him and said, For a good work we stone you not. But for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. You see, here's the thing. The Jews didn't believe that Jesus was God. Mm -hmm. And so they thought he was just a man making himself God. Was Jesus actually committing blasphemy here? He would have been committing blasphemy had he not been God. But once again, since Jesus was God, by saying, I and the Father are one, he was not committing blasphemy. But if a normal human being somehow claimed to be God, they would be committing blasphemy. So that's what we see here. This little horn would be speaking great things and blasphemy. Notice what it says in the next chapter. Daniel, or next verse, Daniel chapter 7, verse 17. These four great beasts, remember Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, the four beasts that were mentioned there in Daniel chapter 7, are four kings over their kingdom. And it says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 24, the ten horns out of this last kingdom, which was Rome, are ten kings that shall arise. And another, another what? Another horn shall arise after them. What does it say in Revelation 13.1? We read here, I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. Now, we've already seen there in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, that this beast is none other than the Antichrist power. Interesting to note, we have already seen that the Antichrist power is a spiritual power. It is a religious power that actually looks Christian. But now a beast we're seeing here is a kingdom. So not only is this power going to be religious, but it's going to be political at the same time. So it's going to be a political power mixing in religious principles in its doctrine. Okay, so you say every, we, say, we see a beast and it's a kingdom. Mm-hmm. If I were to see like Balaam and his donkey, a donkey's a beast, is that a kingdom? No, because it's not in Bible prophecy. Now, in Bible prophecy, a beast represents a kingdom. Now, in just the normal stories in the Bible, if you read in the book of Genesis about the animals that went on to the ark, these wouldn't represent all kinds of an- or 
countries that made their way onto some kind of boat. That doesn't make any sense. No, but it's only in Bible prophecy that a beast represents a kingdom. Amen. So here, there are the beasts are kings, and in Revelation, another prophetic section, it says there's a beast, so they're kingdoms. So get into it. The Antichrist power is both religious and political. Interesting, isn't it? Clues. Okay, what's the next one say there, Chad? We read here in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 20, The horn that had eyes and a mouth speaking very great things, whose look was greater than his foe. So the Antichrist is going to look greater than the other kingdoms around it. And what do we see happens in Revelation chapter 13? I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And on its horns were ten crowns, and on its head was the name of blasphemy. Now... It doesn't say that it was greater than its, its fellows, but it does say in verse 4 of Revelation chapter 13, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And the question really means, ain't no beast like this anywhere else. You ever seen one of those at the zoo? You haven't, have you? Because there's nothing else like it. So what, what's the point here? So the point is, is that we have a power that is greater than all other powers, or at least it's going to look that way, that people actually will begin to follow this power because it's strength and it's might. And also because it's going to be speaking great things. These great things may be blasphemies, but in some way they're going to, they're going to cloak them in a beautiful garb. So this power, people, the majority of the earth is going to seek to follow after the Antichrist power. So again, in Daniel chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 13, it's the same power. Mm-hmm. That's what we're That's trying right. to establish tonight. We're seeing that they both have mouths. They both speak great things. They both are beasts. They both uh, look greater than their fellows. What else happens here? It says, I watched. And that horn of Daniel 7.21 made war with the saints and overcame them. In verse 25 it says similarly, He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. But in Revelation chapter 13 verse 7, talking about the same beast, but in a different portion, same Antichrist. In a different portion. It was given to it, which is the beast, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Authority was given over to it over every tribe and tongue and nation. So they both make war with the saints, except it adds a little bit there in Revelation 13. It says that it's going to have power or authority over every tribe, tongue, and nation. That means that even the people in this video that were saying, hey man, if it's your religion, it's your deal. It, it has nothing to do with me because I believe something else. Is it going to affect them? It is going to affect them. It's going to affect every person on the planet. And you may be wondering, because there's kind of a confusion sometimes in Christianity, at, at Christianity as to what a saint is. You think, okay, the Antichrist is going to make war with the saints. Is he, you know, sometimes people think, well, saints are those people that maybe died sometime in the past. And, and the church has, has ordained them as saints. But actually, if you look in the Bible, in, for instance, uh, Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you look in the book of, I believe it's uh, Ephesians also, you'll see that Paul calls these churches, the true Christians in those churches... He calls them what? Saints. Saints. So a saint is not necessarily some dead person who lived long ago, yet they may have been a saint. A saint is a Christian who truly follows the word of God. So the Antichrist power is going to persecute the saints of the Most High. He's going to persecute the true Christians. So even though this Antichrist power will look Christian, remember, the majority of the world will go after this power thinking they're following after Bible truth. They'll actually be believing that, but at the same time, they'll be persecuting a group of people who are following God's Word. This is heaven. There's always been a people that have followed God's Word. All through history. 
all through history, if you study the Bible, there's always been a group of people that are faithful to God. Though the majority seem to be in power and seem to be correct, sadly, the biblical, the biblical model is the majority is often wrong. Yeah, we hear, you, we hear your amens because it's absolutely true. It's hard to find, it's, it's very hard to find a place. There may be one or two places, but almost always in the Bible, the majority is in the wrong. Yes. Throughout secular history, probably, and, and biblical history. It picks it up in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. He shall speak words against the Most High and plot to change times and laws. I'm going to focus here for a second on laws. The reason why we're looking at laws is because the law of God, as you'll see in your notes, represents God's character. Okay? God's character is very pure, very holy, very high, and almighty. The law tries to represent that. We're going to see that in a second. But notice what he does here in Revelation 13, verse 6. It opened its mouth, the same power, in blasphemy toward God to blaspheme his name. Now, how do we say that these two represent the same thing? Changing his law and blaspheming his name. Well, we're going to see in just a moment how, how the law is the character of God. But if you look up the word name, we've talked about the Strong's Concordance, you'll find that this word name actually means character. Now, we even use this in our own modern vernacular. You can actually say to someone, well, that family has a good name. Does that mean that, well, the sound that comes out of your mouth when you say their name is a good thing? No, it means that that, na that family has a good character that backs up their name. And in the same way, God's name is going to be blasphemed. That doesn't mean just someone's going to curse God's name, but it means even more than that. Is it biblical, though? I mean, okay, help me out, friends. Is, uh, who, by the name of Jacob, become, became something else? Israel. Israel. Okay. Well, it was Abram that became what? Abraham. Okay, now, Jacob, when he wrestled with the angel, and he then gained victory over self, because the question was, what is your name? Don't lie like you did to your father. Tell me the truth. Okay, I'm Jacob. No, your name is now Israel, because you've told the truth. Abram, when his character was changed, now you're the, the, the father of many nations. It's Abraham, mm -hmm. including his wife, Sarai, became Sarah. What about Saul? What happened to him? He became Paul. When he met the Lord on that road, knocked him off his high horse, he became Paul. You see what's happening? Biblically, there's a lot of places where even the John, James and John, they became what? Nicknamed the Sons, Sons of, of Thunder. Thunder. Okay? Because the name represents the character. This is biblical. Now, what we're going to see here is an amazing chart. Okay? God is good, holy, perfect, pure, just, true, spiritual, righteousness, faithful, love, unchangeable, and light. What you can do is look over and see His law is... Good, holy, perfect, pure, just, true, spiritual, righteousness, faithful, love, unchangeable, and light. In fact, Chad, if you look up Luke chapter 18, verse 19, we're going to go ahead and read a couple of these just to show that this is actually what this is describing. Now, is this talking about the ceremonial law that represents God's character? No, because David in the Psalms talks quite a bit about that, saying, you know, you don't want sacrifices and offering. You want my contrite heart. So that law is not what we're referring to. The moral law, the Ten Commandments, is what he's talking about here that represent God's character. Luke 18, pick it up. Luke 18, verse 19. We're going to see that God is good. Verse 19 says, And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, or except one. That is God. So God is good. Now, is also his law good? The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1, verse 8, 
But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. So right there says plainly, the law is good. Give us another one, Chad. We read here in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 16. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. So here we see that God is holy in Isaiah 5, verse 16. It says the same thing about the law in the Bible. Romans chapter 7, verse 12. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. We know exactly what commandment he's talking about here because he quotes from it. So what we're seeing here is God is all these wonderful things. The law is all these wonderful things, except the law can't save you, right? You know one of the things the law doesn't have? Mercy. You see, God has mercy. That's why God calls sinners to repentance. You see, if He didn't have mercy, we'd all be damned to hell, right? We'd go straight to hell without God's mercy. And that's why it's so important as well to read our Bible, because listen, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're going straight to hell. There's no way out of it. If you don't spend time with Christ and you know Him well, you might as well just check in to uh, take your place where it's real hot. Because you're not going to be in heaven. That's why we've been begging you guys, spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. Amen. Hence, you will get to know Jesus Christ, your Savior. Because if you don't know Him, there's only one other option. What does the Bible say next, brother? Just to clarify back on that, remember, God's law, you could say, is like a transcript of His character. Whatever God's law is, God is also, except for as Daniel just said, God is merciful on top of what the law is. So as we carry on now, we read in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, They shall be given into His hands until a time and times and one half time. Now we already saw last time that this time, times and one half time was three and a half years. And we read here in Revelation chapter 13 verse 6, authority was given to it, to the Antichrist power, to continue 42 months, which happens to be three and a half years. So we're seeing another correlation between the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. This is the same power we're looking at. Let's just make it straight again, try to make it as clear as possible. Think about it. A time, times... And half a time. What is that? Three and a half. Three and a half. Okay, 42 months. 12 months in a year. And then you add another 12 months, that's 24. You add another 12 months, that's 36. 36. You add another six months, and what is that? 42. How many years is that? Three and a half. Three and a half years. The, Daniel chapter 7 and Revelation 13, according to the Bible, are the same power. The Antichrist, the little horn, and the beast. Brother, why is this important? We, we're learning some clues about the Antichrist. Is it important that we're not deceived? It is extremely important that we are not deceived. If you have your Bibles, I've talked about this verse, but turn with me if you have your Bibles in closing to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. I want you to see these words with your own eyes. Jesus here is speaking. He talks about in this chapter what we would call maybe the signs of the times or the signs of the coming of Christ. And in Matthew chapter 24, in verse 24, Jesus says this. And if Jesus says something, you're going to know for sure. If anything's written in the Bible, you're going to know that it's important. But if Jesus says it, it must be important. Because we read here, for there shall arise, Matthew 24, 24, for there shall arise false Christs. 
and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So great miracles are going to happen. And I have asked maybe some, some agnostics or atheists, what would make you believe that there is a God? And you know what an answer is sometimes? If I could see a miracle. So if you saw a miracle, then you'd follow God, right? What if it were the Antichrist, or a false Christ, or a false prophet, who was working that miracle? What would they then do? They would deceive them into following them. Does that make sense? And so Jesus warns us about these great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. This is a solemn warning. And actually, I think at least three or four times in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus warns about not being deceived, not being deceived, not being deceived. And that's why we're studying these things out. But what if, what if all you know is who the Antichrist is? If all you know is who the Antichrist is, you're going to end up in the same plot that he has. You see, because the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, there is only one name given among men, whereby we must be saved. Amen. Who is it? Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So listen, you can study about the Antichrist, but if you miss who Christ is, you've missed the boat, and you're going to drown. You know, we're going to have a song here, a special time. Stephen Bradford, he is the father of one of our team members, I don't know him too well, except we've, we've met uh, a couple of times. And he's going to sing a song for us. If I recall, it's Signs of the Times. Signs of the Times are everywhere. And you know, if you want to accept Christ again into your hearts, as this song is playing, I want you to stand to your feet. Think about it. Don't, don't do it now. Just take some time to think about it. Stand to your feet, Lord. I want to serve you. I want to walk with you, and I want you to be my Lord. I don't want to be deceived by any Christ. I want to know more about this. If that's what you want to do as the song is playing, take time to stand to your feet. Go ahead, brother. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org